0: I'm Chris Nessie, host of Behind the Mic, Voices of the EPN, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Tom Murphy and Rick Yerish. They're the co-founders of Sweethearts and Heroes. They work with students, educators, and schools to help kids who are dealing with self-destructive decisions. Oh, this is so powerful. You're going to want to bring them to your school today. Hey, by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you uh, went to my website, stevenmoletto.com reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? Maybe uh, how about five stars and uh, say some nice words? That'd be so cool. Thank you so much. You are awesome. Enjoy the show.
2: It's the education podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. that here's another show with Dr. Steve Maletto. Teaching, learning, leading K-12. Teaching, learning, leading K-12. Teaching, learning, leading K-12. Ah, uh, ah, uh, with Dr. Steve Maletto.
1: Hey, welcome back. This is Steve, and uh, I've got a great opportunity for you to meet a couple of heroes in our world today. And uh, what we're talking about are who I'm talking with are the co founders of Sweethearts and Heroes, a game changing organization seeking to bring awareness of the fear and anxiety many of our youth experience on a daily basis. I've got Tom Murphy and I've got Rick Yurish. And uh, hey, guys, if you say hi to everybody. Hello,
2: everybody. This is Rick, and this is Tom. Uh, it's great to be on this, uh, the show, Steve, and uh, really excited uh, just about the work that you do, Steve, um, with educators uh, around the country, maybe around the world. And uh, uh, thanks for taking some time and talking to us this morning, too, about about you and your family and, you know, just uh, what keeps you moving forward every day. Well, it's great to have
1: you guys on the show, and this is amazing what you guys do. So before we go any further, if you could get kind of just... Give a little thought about what you you guys do, so uh, and and who you are. So if you give, uh, if Tom, if we
2: could start with you, yeah, man. So uh, you know, this was a happy little accident, as the great Bob Ross would say. Um, you know, didn't intend for it to happen. Uh, you know, I spent uh, seventeen years in the railroad industry, um, and uh, also tinkered with some professional sports. And I found myself talking to young people, um, kind of at the twilight of that where. A lot of people I knew called me up and said, hey, my kid saw you on this crazy TV show. Could you could you come talk to him? Um, and, you know, I've always been great at picking up lessons from coaches in the business world and the sports world and uh, found myself doing a little bit of leadership, motivational, goal-setting kind of stuff. A friend of mine called me in a panic and uh, last minute said, said hey, uh, can you do something on bullying for me? And I said, well, I guess so. And uh, so I just – Came up with this crazy little um, thought. It really wasn't much of a presentation at the time, but uh, I I coined it "sweethearts and heroes." And uh, another school was there and said, "Wow, we've never seen anything like that in the bullying world, in the awareness world." And uh, and said, "Can you do that at our school?" And I'm I said, "Yeah, I guess so." And you know, for a, a gas card and a, uh, um, <laughs> a a cup of coffee, I went and did another presentation and. Then another school called, and another school called, and and something really weird kind of happened, Steve. Um, not weird, but it just, I guess it was destined to happen. Uh, you know, when I was done presenting, I found a lot of young people would sneak back into auditoriums and um, want to tell me their story, you know, about the challenges they're going through in life. And uh, not, not, you know, per se bullying, but just the challenges of life. And uh, I just shut my mouth and listened a lot. And what I found was a lot of kids started talking to me over a decade ago about this struggle with hope and hopelessness. And um, I didn't really know what to say. You know, I I, I, I have a very unique background growing up. Um so I kind of understood where a lot of these young people were coming from. But I, I don't know what to tell a person that feels like they're burning to death on the inside, socially, psychologically, emotionally. And so I just spent a lot of time listening. And, and as, as I did more of these, um, I, the universe kind of bumped me into this guy named Rick Yarish. And uh, it was just a happenstance meeting. Tried getting a hold of him. He, he completely ignored me for uh, the better part of a year. And this crazy set of events uh, brought us in contact um, with each other again. And Rick thought that I, we were looking to use him as our token hero, sweethearts and heroes, and uh, which nothing could be further from the truth. You know, I met this man whose hands are melted together, no ears, no nose, one leg, and you know. And after I heard his story, I said, "This is the guy. This is the guy that understands hope and hopelessness." Better than I ever could. And this is the same thing young people were telling me. And I'll kind of land my plane on this and pass it over to Rick here. Um, Something uh, is happening in our youth today, Steve. Um, You know, suicides in 10 to 14 year olds since 2007 have tripled. Rick and I were in two schools this year that lost young people the week before we got there. And, um, you know, and people say, why? Why? And there's this eerie parallel between the 22 service members that take their own lives every day in this country and our children. And those words should not be coming out of my mouth, that our children are feeling the same level of hopelessness that our service members feel that caused them to do the unthinkable. So when I got to meet Rick, I just, uh, you know, we got to actually sit down and talk. I begged him. I said, man, you got to come to a presentation and watch. You got to come and watch. And, uh, And he did. And uh, 12, 13 years later, we've crisscrossed this great nation, sp- taken this message over 2 million students and um, teachers, parents, and um, we're stronger than we've ever been. And the message is sharper than it's ever been. But it's not just an awareness message, Steve. It's really a student empowerment message. And we bring this amazing toolbox uh, for young people. Um, to grow empathetically and grow in the other human skills that are deteriorating so fast in our young people. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I'd turn it over to Rick and he'll tell you about this creepy guy in a free hug shirt that conned him to doing a presentation with him.
0: Yes. Um, I didn't know what the heck I was getting myself into. That's for sure. Cause I didn't, I, didn't, I honestly, you know, you know, it took me a while to even, joined up with Sweethearts and Heroes, but then when I joined up with Sweethearts and Heroes, I didn't believe it would be something that would be continuing 12, 13 years later. It's crazy to me that here we are still doing this today uh, at a much higher level than I ever thought we could do it. Uh, So that's amazing. But when I first met up with Sweethearts and Heroes, when I first met up with Tom, like I was sharing a message. Um, It wasn't much of a message. You know, I was kind of just telling my quick story of what happened to me. That was an interesting story. You know, people wanted to hear what happened to me, why I look the way I look, what happened to my face, what happened to my hands, what happened to my leg. So I was sharing that with people. Um, But that's pretty much all I was doing. I was just sharing a war story, really. And people were like, wow, that was a great story. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of, you know, this is what you take from it uh, at that point in my life. So when Sweethearts and Heroes approached me and Tom approached me and, you know, wanted me to come along and talk about hope, I'm like, I don't really know if I know a lot about all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, with the right kind of coaching with the right kind of people in your life, you learn a lot about yourself. And, uh, I learned that I did know a lot about hope and I did know a lot about hopelessness. And that's why I knew so much about hope, um, because of what happened to me. So going into schools and, uh, sharing this message of hope, which by the way stands for hold on possibilities exist H O P E hold on possibilities exist. And, uh, I did realize that, you know, I did know a lot about that and I could relate because I definitely can't understand fully what these kids are going through because I'm not 11, 12, 13 years old dealing with the things that they are dealing with. I know that for a fact, but I can relate with hopelessness. And I know for myself how to get through that hopelessness. So that's what I get to share with these students, like, yes, it is difficult. And I'll even tell you today that the hopelessness that I felt and what happened to me in Iraq uh, well, 17 years ago, uh, being on fire, surviving that fire, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, I don't expect a kid who's 11 or 12 to say that about the situation that they're in, but my goal is for someday to let them see that, you know what, if that didn't happen to me, that doesn't mean you wanted it to happen to you because I didn't want to get blown up in Iraq, but... Something good came out of it. If you look hard enough, the most difficult things that you have dealt with in this world, good things have come out of it. Sometimes it's just hard to see those things. Um, so I've recognized today that the hopelessness that I felt and the hope that I got from it has led to some amazing things in my life, like 2 million students. That doesn't happen if I don't get blown up in Iraq. doesn't mean I want to wanted to get blown up in Iraq, but it happened. Nothing I can do to change that. I can change how I look at it, though. I can change my perspective on it. And we can all do that with uh, the things that we've dealt with in our life. So I realized that I did have a message that I could share. And I joined up with Sweethearts and Heroes. And I tell people that joining the Army was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. But uh, joining up with Sweethearts and Heroes was another one because uh, I wouldn't have the opportunity that I have today to share the message that I have today. I might maybe have talked to 50,000 kids if I didn't join with Sweethearts and Heroes and um, I'm just so proud of the organization and where we're at today uh, in this
2: world. Steve, I know you want to jump in, but I do have to correct. If it wasn't for Rick, there would be no Sweethearts and Heroes. I want to make that very clear. Rick makes it sound like he joined up with us. But, you know, I, I was just talking to some young people and telling a story. and uh, But it really wasn't until Rick came in the picture that Sweethearts and Heroes really blossomed because I'm sure you can imagine um, some of the lessons that this man has given to young people, and I know he was so humbly, he said, I didn't know what I was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was giving the hope that he carries with him every day, the hope that that he taught me that every human being has inside of them and that they can give to other people if they choose to. And uh, so I just want to be very clear. you know, Rick, Rick humbly says when I joined with Sweethearts and Heroes, but there is no Sweethearts and Heroes without Rick Yarish. Well,
0: I appreciate that, Tom.
2: Well, th- thank you both. And, and Rick, thank you so much for your service to a
1: country. And, and, and it's amazing what, what you're just talking about, because, you know, a lot of times youth do feel like everything's gone. There's nothing, you know, and whether it in this world that we have where they're online and, and some, there's some bullying might be happening there or forget face to face. I mean, it, it, too much of it happens right there online. Um, or they, they see this world that somebody supposedly has this perfect world once again online, and uh, may not be true. And with their ages, they, they get sometimes so focused on, you know,, I, am I ever going to be like that? I can't be like that. I can't. And, and they see no hope. I mean, and I, I think that's something that is so necessary to stress as a former high school principal. I mean, I had to two Sundays I will never forget because one, one Sunday morning, um, the detective called me, and then the next Sunday he called me again as we had a, a copycat uh, death happen the same way. Um, and, uh, you know, children had their entire lives in front of them, um, found it as hopeless. Um, you know, at, at some point I would imagine that uh, part of your message uh, um, that comes out, Rick, is, that, uh, is the emotions that you had to deal with in overcoming and and trying to get kids to see that they're, like you said, you have the acronym for hope now. Um, can you talk to that just a little bit?
0: Yeah. So, um, hold on possibilities exist. That's the strength within us, like to hold on to find out the possibilities that exist for our future. But there's an important part to this saying it takes other people along the way to help us get to where we need to be in our lives. I, there's, There's zero chance. And I am a strong person. I truly believe that. But I also believe that there is zero chance that I would be in this position that I'm in today without other people helping me through it. Like there are just certain things. How am I at 25 years old supposed to deal with the fact that every child in the United States of America saw me as a monster? How am I supposed to handle that on my own? I don't. Nobody could. So I needed other people. So I have to let people in. So that hold on possibilities exist. That's there. It's for that time until that sweetheart comes into your life. Because we talk about sweethearts and sweethearts are the carriers of hope. They're the carriers of hope. They're the people who give hope to other people when they absolutely need it the most. So you hold on until those sweethearts come into your life. And then they help you get through it. Because honestly, there's no way I'm getting through this on my own. The strength that I had was the holding on part. That's the strength that I carried. I had to hold on long enough to find out the possibilities that existed. But when you are in the midst of this adversity in your life, this really difficult thing, this hopelessness that you're dealing with, it's hard to see really good things that are going on around you. That doesn't mean good things aren't going on around you. They are going on around you. It's just really hard to see them. So for me, I just say you got to clear through that as soon as you can. You also have to give yourself some time to realize that, yes, this is a difficult situation and I don't like it because the definition of adversity is difficulties and misfortune. Like that's the way it is when it first starts. But if we carry the adversity around in our lives that we deal with every day as misfortune, that's way too much misfortune. So at some point we got to change it. If I looked at the day that I was injured in Iraq as bad the rest of my life, then my life is bad. I can't avoid what happened to me. I look in the mirror and I see it every single day. When somebody deals with post-traumatic stress, they deal with it every single day and almost every moment. And they're reminded by things. So it's not like you're going to get rid of that thing that you're dealing with. You just have to figure out how to get through it, how to deal with it in your life. And then maybe even say, you know what? Gosh, if that didn't happen in my life, that traumatic thing didn't happen in my life, maybe these things, these good things that are in my life, wouldn't have happened. So that's just how I know today I will deal with the future difficulties that I have. Because there will be more. There's no avoiding all of it. You can avoid some things by the choices that you make, but some of them are unavoidable. And when those difficult things happen, the knowledge to know that you can get through it. I will never give up again. And I have given up. I will never give up again. That doesn't mean I won't feel hopeless again. That just means I will never give up in that hopelessness again. I know that I can turn to these amazing people that we call sweethearts to help me get through it. Because certain things in my life, certain things in everyone's life, we cannot get through on our own. I believe that's why that number of suicides is so high we try to get through way too many things on our own because we're afraid to admit to people that we can't do it on ah, I can't do it on my own that means I'm not strong no that doesn't mean you're not strong that means you've never dealt with it before and that's why we have coaches nobody gets good at things without other people helping them yes you got to put in the work and the effort but you need other people to help you get through it as well and i just know that i'm a product of those people in my life
2: Steve, let me can I just jump in and make a couple sure. uh, key points about what Rick said, because uh, there's some powerful stuff in what he just said. I'm sure you, you, you felt that yourself. But, you know, here's a man that has no PTSD. You know, Rick Yarsh has zero PTSD. When I met him, I just didn't understand that. Um, you know, but a- as I've talked to Rick more and more about destructive decisions and he's lost a lot of friends, uh, too many uh, service members. And, you know, he's always pointed out to me that it's a moment that you have to get through. It's just a moment. And, you know, and for us, Rick used this term sweetheart. And you say, why do you guys use the term sweetheart? That's kind of strange. Well, when we started this whole thing, as I was telling in the intro here, you know, the first thing I did was sat down and opened up the dictionary. And I had a dictionary from college that gave word origin. And uh, when I looked at the word bully, I saw 16th century sweetheart. And I was like, what the heck? And so I did a real deep dive. And what I discovered uh, for myself, um, it's been a, a historical fact, was the word bully in the 16th century meant sweetheart. It was someone that came into your life, kicked you in the shorts and said, let's go, man. You got more to give. You can do this. It was that person when you didn't feel like going to practice, they said, get your crap and get in the car. When you brought that new instrument home and you were gonna be a rock and roll star, but you realize like this is too hard. They said, let's go young man. Get it out of its case right now. I bought this stupid thing for you. Or maybe when you were really struggling in college, when your parents were going through a divorce, when nothing was going right, that person called you up on the phone and said, get your stuff on, I'm coming over, we're going out. Those are your 16th century bullies. And what we've really put together is that those are the people that carry hope inside of them and give it to you when you need it the most. And they help you get through that moment And our job and, you know, it's easy to run around and raise awareness to give statistics uh, about the destructive decisions that young people service member are going through. It's another thing. To empower young people because we believe, and our message hasn't changed from day one, Steve. It's been about teaching young people how to jump into action because that's one of the signatures of a hero, is just someone that's willing to do things other people aren't willing to do. Like jump into action to give that hope that you have inside of you to other people that you know are struggling because our children are the ones on the front line, Steve. 96% of negative behavior directed at young people. 96 to 97 percent is never addressed or seen by schools or administration because it's done in the shadows of the school, in the locker room, the cafeteria. You know, as a principal, as assistant principal, you try your hardest to get to the bottom of it. A lot of it's a he said, she said. But the thing is, Steve, 85 percent of those instances, there's other young people there watching. And I'll land on this that our solution from day one, and it's only become stronger with the curriculum we put into place, with the classes that we have running all year long, leadership classes in schools. The the secret really, man, is getting young people to recognize that they are the solution and they're the ones that are going to change the world, not you and I, Steve. We're just way too old for that. We can give them a little bit of wisdom from our generation, but they're the ones in the trenches. They're the ones that are walking around the hall with kids that are feeling hopeless on the inside, and they're the ones that are going to change the world. And you bring a guy like Rick Yaris to your school, everybody feels that they have that hope inside of them that they could give to someone else because people gave it to Rick. A five-year-old little girl probably saved that man's life with the hope she was carrying in her. So I just had to make a couple uh, real key points about what Rick was saying because it was some powerful stuff. Oh,
1: That's awesome. This is, uh, this is so powerful what you guys do. So I've watched some of the videos and so forth that are out there that uh, that uh, um, through YouTube and so forth like this. Can you talk a little bit, let's take, talk a little bit about what it looks like when you go to a school. Um, t- tell us a little bit about uh, you know meeting the kids the first time and then kind of where you go from there.
0: Yeah, jump in, Rick. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's funny because we always say that we can take the word bullying right out of our message and it's the same exact message. But when a kid hears that they're going to an anti-bullying assembly, uh, (laughs) like, oh, here we go again, that, that word that just won't go away. You know, it's been a big push the last, I don't know, 10 years that word bullying. So they hear it all the time and, you know, I don't know what we're going to listen to today. But then um, they get in the, the room and they, the, the auditorium and they sit down and uh, they're, they're being introduced uh, to uh, us through their principal or superintendent, whoever might be doing that. And then the lights go off and they're all like, what is happening? And then Tom comes on the screen in his uh, two and a half minute video when he fought in the UFC. So when Tom did mixed martial arts uh, and it's a video of Tom really kicking the crap out of people. (laughs) And these kids are like, wait a minute, anti-bullying, but this is on the screen and this is awesome. Like they're into it. So we grabbed them right off the bat because again, all of a sudden we've changed how that, their mindsets were because, okay, anti-bullying, and now Tom's on the screen. And then, Tom, what do you
2: say, first thing you say when you come into that room? The first thing I say, Steve, is I I, I say I'm going to tell you one thing about the sport of mixed martial arts. Just one thing I'm not going to mention for the rest of the time that we're together. And remember, we're together for 90 minutes. And you walk into any middle school and you tell that principal you're going to talk to their fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth graders for 90 minutes, they always say the same thing. Oh, you guys have never done this before, huh? (laughs) 90 minutes. We take kids on a roller coaster ride. But the first thing I say is how much I hate fighting. And kids are like, huh? (laughs) What? And I educate them that I participated in a sport that I'm very proud of. And fighting is to use violent physical means, such as blows, fists, or weapons to overpower someone. And when I look at that screen, I see poetry, I see a dance. I don't see violence that's perpetrated on someone outside of their will. I see two people that have agreed to, you know, my skill against your skill. And and as, as weird, and as archaic and as, you know, macho as that sounds, uh, The sport of wrestling has been around for thousands of years. And so I do a quick little education, never mention it again. Then I get deep into this thing called bullying in a very entertaining way. Uh, But it's just, unfortunately you have to entertain kids today. I hate it, but good luck if you can't do it because you're competing with TikTok and Snapchat, you know, and, and as, and as, as the excitement and the thrill and we do some other circus tricks that are really engaging for young people that it's a giant head fake it just turns the switch on and then I get into some really deep stuff some really tough stuff about you know the topic that we were just discussing about destructive decisions and it sombers the room and I tell a couple stories and it finally about 30 or 40 minutes into this whole assembly, I land on this one story of this young lady that just changed my life and the the challenges she had. And I always say, I don't understand hopelessness at that level, but I know someone that does. And the lights go out again. And here's this video of uh, a a tank getting blown up um, and this monster that was created Um, because that's what he looks like to a lot of young people. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, you think here comes another story. Um, And, oh, Tom met this guy. And then the lights start to come up slowly. And I say, students, educators, can you all please welcome one of the world's hope experts, Mr. Rick Yarish? I mean, I just got chills, and I've done that a thousand times, Steve. And here comes Rick down the aisle, and you can hear – Crickets, And people are like, what is happening? And then Rick lays his story out. And what he really lays out, though, is that these young people are the solution to solving this and so, so many more issues in our country if we empower them to do so. So that's kind of how it goes. That's the tip of our ice. And then we lay out this beautiful little action plan at the very end of the assembly. We invented something called a bully drill, much like a fire drill. You know, all of these social emotional skills, Steve, that, you know, we talk about, Um, you know, a lot of times you talk to a principal and, and I won't ramble about this. I'll make this quick so you can jump back in here. But you talk to a principal this year. I've talked to probably over 100 between last year and this year. And I say, what's the most important thing? And they all say the same thing, 99% of them. Oh, the social emotional health, health of our children. And I hope they also say, and they're educators, they're, 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 they're staff. And I say, oh, yeah, what are you doing about that? And they say, ah, oh, we're going to have a speaker and uh, a community day. And I always say, oh, shoot, you should do the same thing with math. And they're like, well, what what, what do you mean? I just do two lessons this year and call it good. Like every principal will add. They always chuck. Oh, okay, I get your point. And I say, listen, man, don't say it's the most important thing, right? If it's the most important thing, you got to make it the most important thing. And you couldn't do, teach math in two lessons this year. What makes you think you can teach these other human skills in two lessons? No, these things have to be practiced over and over and over again. So we developed this bully drill. We have this great age-mixed um curriculum that's that really focuses on the science of play, the growth of empathy and compassion, the science behind that. And uh, so we start with this crazy presentation that hooks teachers and parents and students. And and then we kind of work into uh, some of these other great skills and things that we bring to the table You know, as we work with districts more and more.
0: Yeah, we we show up an hour before school starts and we usually don't leave until an hour after school is over. So we are, we, Excellent. we don't just present and leave. We want to become a part of the culture in the school and we hang out in the school all day long. And most schools were in for two, three, or four days. That
1: is That is awesome. That is so cool. And by the way, uh, Tom, that just as you were describing, it gave me goosebumps also. And, it's, <laughs> and I, I just can only imagine because, because you're right. I mean, a lot of, you know, kids, Oh, it's just going to be adults trying to tell me something to, from the adult world or something like this. And, you know, and it's, you know, and, it, and you have to figure out how to grab their, their attention to really connect with them. And that's what it's all about is that connection. Because once they, once you do that, then you've, then you got the chance to get them to listen to what you're talking about. So uh, kudos. Now you also have a message, not just for the kids, for the adults also. Um, can you talk a little bit about
2: 13 pillows? Yeah, man, let me, let me just drop this a little dime, though, and I'm sure many of your listeners listeners have heard this, but, you know, <clears throat> Edward Dess and Richard Ryan came up with a, a theory called self-determination theory, SDT, and there's a sub-theory underneath of it called BPNT, basic psychological needs, and, uh, you know, I'm a huge prescriber. Of that, uh, as a father of four, I, I certainly understand I've had children transition through um, many stages of development. And, uh, you know, with self-determination theory, what they, what Richard Ryan and Edward Desi has said is there's nothing more important than autonomy. Not for a kid, for a human being. And unfortunately, we strip kids of this autonomy. And so w- when we have this message built, it's really built on Uh, You know, giving kids the power to be the change. And I know that sounds crazy and different. And as as uh, uh, Robert Greene said in the laws of human nature, that's just your generational narcissism talking. Right. Because that's all it is. You know, your your cohort, your your block, uh, boomer, a Gen Xer. Uh, it's just that's all that's talking is I got to teach kids. Well, you, come on, man. You remember when you were that age, you wanted to do things yourself because autonomy and the second part of that formula that they talk about is competence. So we all want our kids to be competent, whether they're our students or whether they're our own personal children. But you can't get to competence without autonomy, and uh, so just very important. I, I think it's very important for teachers to understand because sometimes people, when I when I talk about student empowerment, putting it in the hands of the students, sometimes teachers will be like, "Ah, oh, hold on a minute," um, which really brings us right to this book that you're talking about. Um, You know, this book is a it's a wonderful fictional allegory. Um, uh, We've given it away to teachers for free in a digital version until the end of July, um, just because of the it's a real thank you for the great work they've done. But in a in a brief, brief nutshell, uh, it's the last 15 years of our life. And uh, I could take you to any page in that book and say, this is the school that happened at. Here's the real story. Here's the real lesson from the lawsuit that this young man goes through, which in reality was a $10 million wrongful death lawsuit that every teacher is worried about. Our buddy Bruce Breyer goes through that in this book, um, isn't a $10 million wrongful death suit. But we, w- we wove that in. But but the story is just about a young man that loses a kid uh, to his own hands a- in the 11th grade. And in real life, the kid's name was Evan. In the book, his name is Alan. And he just decides that this sport of education ain't for him after he loses this young man. And he just decides to throw in the towel and out of the shadows after he gets done reading his his resignation letter real early in the gym out of the shadows steps a custodian, a retired educator, much much like someone like yourself, Steve, and who's got all the answers, who's been through the fire, loses his wife to cancer, just wants to come back and be around kids again. And he just steps out of the shadows after listening to this guy pour his heart out uh, to the universe. Um, and uh, it just gives him these great lessons. And you meet some great teachers and students along the way. But every teacher that reads it um, finds themselves – At whatever stage they are in their career, whether it's the beginning, the middle, or the end, they'll find themselves in this book and say, oh, man, I remember when I went through that exact same thing. And I say, well, because the book is real. It's alive. All of these things happen to the great educators that we've met over the last 15 years. That's so awesome. You know, one of the things that uh,
1: it's hard to get people to understand because who – have not worked with kids, um, even though they were kids themselves, <laughs> which, you know, we all seem to go through that, right? <laughs> um, but for some reason, that there's they lose this thought and think about children as like widgets, the idea that you could do a little fix in here, a little bondo there, and, you know, a little uh, shiny you know stuff here, and then suddenly they're all right. And it don't work that way. And you have to connect with them, and you have to, uh, they have to, but they, they see things differently, and you have to figure out how to connect with them. And it doesn't happen from being in a 50-minute class. Um, it might over a long term, but it doesn't really happen. It, well, a lot of times it happens because you sponsor something or you work with them on projects or you work with them in sports or with organizations and you do different activities um, because, you know, they've got to see that, you know, uh, what I like to do is talk to, talk to adults about, you know, they have to – there's things that kids think you get paid for, whether it's real or not. <laughs> they, they, this is what you get paid for. But I, I notice that you're doing things that you don't, I, there's no way you get paid to spend all this time to come help us read by having a special reading group after school where, you know, you've brought in snacks and we come together and we read and, you know, you bring in guest speakers or you, or you uh, go out and you play uh, in the band or you play soccer or you, or you, or you spend time, you know, putting together some organization, whatever it is that allows you to connect. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, the the kids have to see that because otherwise it's just another adult telling them things, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can come to me for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, you know, and, and that's part of, part of your world. I mean, it, it's, especially if they don't realize, I, I don't even know how to, I mean, one of the easiest things is that as a, as a kid, we all kind of, I don't know if everybody goes through it, but, you know, there's those times when you really, you look at an adult and go, you just don't get me. <laughs> and I don't care what it is that, uh, what you're trying to do. I had a kid one tell me, one time tell me when I was a brand new teacher, by the way, this is very hurtful because I was 20, probably three, maybe four early in my teaching career. And I was trying to get to know, I was trying to get to understand what he was upset about. And I said something that made him say, look, don't give me that 60s hippie stuff. All right. And I'm like... How old do you think I am, man? <laughs> and he's like, "Well, you know, you you probably." And I said, "Never mind, never mind, never mind." <laughs> but you know, it's it, it's part of working with kids is is really getting them to to get through kind of all that stuff out there. So you know, part of I mean, that's what you're doing. I mean, you're you're trying to connect with them. I mean, hits, that's awesome that you spend the entire entire day. You get there early and and leave late, and uh, and kids are going to see that. So it, it just Kudos about that. And that, and what I've, where I was going with this long diatribe was just to say, you know, um, when, we, when, you, when you go in these places and you're working with the teachers, I mean, what are some of the things that teachers talk to you about? What, do you, what is it that you, I mean, because that has to, you know, the adults have got to be trying to get your attention to say, <laughs> hey, can you help me?
2: There's a lot to that one, Steve. Rick, you want to jump in or I I hate Um, to ramble. Um, Yeah. So, you know,
0: Tom is the master at talking (laughs) to these these teachers. But, you know, even in the presentation, you know, when we talk about hope and hopelessness, we're talking to those students. But guess what? Those teachers are listening as well. Mm. And they are dealing with some difficult things in their life too. So, yeah, they do get a lot from the message. And actually, during the presentation, uh, Tom talks to the teachers a lot. And one of the things that – comes up after the presentation is over as people will come up and say, and they will, students and teachers will say this, thank you for talking to the teachers as well. Like, that's pretty amazing um, to hear. But, you know, one of the things I heard you say a lot, you know, that word connection and connection in my mind creates culture and, and connection also creates a positive environment. And, you know, when we go into a presentation and we're waiting backstage, and um, the principal comes up and is about to introduce us. And the first things we hear is that principal or teacher, whoever might be introducing us saying, no cell phones, no hats, no hoodies. If you have any of these things, you will be taken out. You will have detention. And we're like, oh, no. Like that's the culture right there. And honestly, it's going to be very hard for us to now reach those students. We go out there and we talk. And in the parts where they're supposed to laugh, they don't. In the parts where they're supposed to answer the questions, they don't. Because the culture has been changed because they don't have a connection with that person that introduced. Um, so they've changed the culture. And uh, that's just how important connection is. If you don't connect, those kids aren't going to learn from you. They're not going to uh, be able to because now they're worried about every single thing that they do. Um, so that's just one thing I think about when I think about connection and then you get the principal who introduces us and it's just, it's amazing. You can hear them and you're out there and you're, you're listening like, this is going to be awesome. I can just tell from the 32nd introduction, what the culture might be like in this school.
2: Pretty crazy. Well, that's one of the pillows, you know, connection over content. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say you're a connection person. Um, you are a lot of educators say that, but, um, You know, Rick is right. Our our message is as much for the educators in that room um, and in the school as it is for the students. You know, we uh, had a senior. I I did an opening day this year, uh, this past school year. And I um, first time I ever did, I I begged the principal and the superintendent to let me do it with two of their students. Like who's done an opening day with 300 faculty members uh, and asked a couple students to come, and uh, these are students that had taken one of our classes, two years in our class. Uh, it's a self-directed, self-controlled student leadership class called Braves, B-R-A-V-E-S, and um And I've just been so impressed by these two. And I worked with them during the summer and, you know, I'm going to do my opening piece. And then that Bonnie Tyler song comes on where have all the heroes gone. And here comes these two students down the aisles clapping to the song and they get down there. And I got a story about each one of these young people and the young man just blew my mind. I haven't stopped talking about it all year, but this young woman gets down there and her name is Bianca. She's awesome. And uh, she'd been there since K pre K And, you know, she gets out there and, you know, we do a lot of circle work. I spend uh, probably done over 700 circles myself this year, and it's a very unique circle that we've kind of developed. Um, You know, circle has been around for 400,000 years, but we've developed a very unique circle that people get addicted to. And uh, so she I've done circle with her all year and uh, the last couple of years. And one of the it was just so amazing to watch a young person and she gets down there and her little bit was that, you know, when I was a little girl, I thought teachers slept at school. Like where are their beds? I can't find them. And uh, that'll make you laugh as an educator. Cause you know, that's little kids, this space of wonder that they live in is amazing. And, and, uh, but what she really came to the conclusion after doing circle with so many teachers, cause this school is so brave. They let their students run circles and teachers participate in the circles Like that's a culture changer right there. You want to talk about surrendering to a student um, or a group of students. That's a hard thing to do. It's almost impossible as an educator, especially if you're a Gen Xer or above. Um, But, you know, when she got down there, she just told a beautiful story about learning. It took her a long time to get here. It took her her whole life that all of our educators are bringing and dragging these invisible suitcases into school every day. And they're full of divorce. They're full of death and loss and cancer and, you know, struggling for money. And I think a lot of the time, Steve, what we do is we lose sight that our educators are about as human as any kid in that school. They just know how to wear the mask and put it on the right way and straighten it out and walk into school and suck it up. But they're human beings. And I believe with all my heart, that our educators are the most important people in the world today. And I don't say that to get any teachers on my side. I say things to get them off my side. I'd say things like kids don't need you to learn anymore. And that's really offensive. That's a slap in the face to a teacher, but they don't. I mean, any kid will pull out his phone and, and be able to tell you how to change a toilet if you want them to. And they, and if they don't like the way that looks, they'll watch someone else do it. But what we, and I'm going to land on this. The baggage that our educators bring into this school every day, called life, those are the real lessons. Those are the teachable moments that young people need more than ever before in human history because these human skills that they used to get when they were working on a car with their mom or baking with their dad or in the barn with their grandpa, those have been obliterated largely. And I don't mean totally. I mean the, the, at the rate that kids would pick up those human skills that lock into that social engagement system of the face and the body and the uh, and the inflection in the voice that used to design and grow these empathetic circuits in our brain. Those things are gone today. That's why empathy has been cut in half in the last 30 years. And the only way that our kids are really getting that is through our teachers. And we don't honor teachers enough to say, And we do, and and people don't realize this. I tell teachers all the time, I say, be very careful. Mama bear rips off arms and legs of human beings that mess with their cubs. Don't ever forget that. And then they eat them right in front of them, okay? Don't forget this, educator, that that mama bear just gave you something all day long that she will die for. What a tremendous honor. And now she needs you to teach it these human skills so our society can move forward. And we need to have that discussion, man, because that's the new breed of education to me. I know we got standards and all these things that we got to comply with and get done. I get it. But you know what, man? This thing right here, the information a kid has today is unlike any information the three of us had put together growing up. So I'll quit my rant about that. So when I when you say what do you do with teachers? We do a lot with teachers. Uh, a tremendous amount. I mean we 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 have 10 courses this summer live in person that are uh, I start our next one next week, um, on our circle training and, and it's a two day thing that we do on circle. So we do a tremendous amount of teachers. I couldn't do much justice. I just like to say, I think that I know they're the most important people in America today because they're the ones that are teaching our children, the human skills that uh, we used to teach them through all of human history a little bit differently. Awesome.
1: I, you know, and t- just to know, I got to make sure that I, I say this, um, so you gave up a very lucrative career. Um, you're doing very well. Any any thoughts about wishing you'd not done that?
2: No, man. I wish I had quit my career earlier. Man, I wish I had quit earlier. And I had so many educators and people tell me, "Tom, this message is different. You got to." And I was just scared. You know, I had four kids at home, and I thought, "How the heck am I going to?" You know talking, you heard me, I started, we started this for a, a coffee card or a gas card and 50 bucks, uh, spent it all day in schools. And I was using all my personal time, um, my vacation time to talk to young people. And that's a big, long story. Like why? Um, and then when I got hooked up with Rick and I just saw the power that this was having on young people and not just a one, even a one-time event, you know, the 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 life changing and po- and possibly life saving message that young people were taking away. And uh, it just I just wish I had quit my career earlier. And it, uh,
0: it's funny. I remember that time when Tom was considering all of that and I could see it. It was an extremely difficult decision and I'm not gonna lie, I was like, What are you thinking? <laughs> like This can't sustain us, like, uh, what (laughs) we're doing. Gas cards. Uh, (laughs) But I've never, ever once even heard an ounce of regret um, from it. I've never, ever heard him talk about, like, man, this this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Or this, you know, my other job provided some. I've never once heard anything in that realm. So. Yeah, I've never ever questioned his decision um, after he did it because, you know, the the what he's creating here is 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 absolutely we we we. I have a hard time with that, as you can (laughs) tell, Steve. (laughs) I have a hard time with that part.
1: All is good. The uh, uh, you know one of the things I want to make sure we talk about before we go um, is so how do how do school systems engage you? How do they? What do they? I mean, do you get reached out to by parents? Do you get reached out to by? Teachers, principals, I mean how do they how do they
2: get you into in into talk to their kids? Well Steve, you know this. Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of everything a school, you know, does is usually word of mouth. Uh you as a principal, assistant principal, you're not gonna drag some thing some assembly in of some video you saw online. Um, because your job and your reputation's on the line, but the second your buddy, who is a principal, it's a, a town over, um, a, a state over that you trust says, Oh my gosh, you have to have these guys. It's going to blow your mind. Um, that's really how we get booked. Um, we're in a hundred, we used to be in a hundred to 120 schools every school year, We've tried to tear that back because we'd rather be in a district for multiple days now and multiple years. I mean, we've been in some districts six, seven, eight years in a row. I think we turned away over 100 schools last year. Uh, we're already booked into January this year, um, and, I, and I mentioned this not to discourage anybody. Uh, we're actually—I sent you. I think I may have sent you a trailer. If I didn't, I can. But we have a brand new series that's two years in the making. We've taken presentation stuff. Nobody wants to sit down and watch a 90-minute assembly on a computer, but we've made it so dynamic. Uh, A great group out of Colorado, a film company out of Colorado, has has put this together. We're getting ready to release it. We're going to speak in Kentucky um, next week, Rick? Two Mm, weeks. weeks. Uh, We're going to speak to every administrator in the state of Kentucky, and we're going to kind of unroll this Hope uh, series, and it's turning into a Hope Classroom, which – we have a ton of resources, a ton. We have, you know, giant curriculums around our class and around our programs, uh, video series on Circle and our, our Hope series, our Intro to Hope series and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, I mean, Internet's the place to go. Sweetheartsandheroes.com, dot social media. Uh, but we love talking to people. I make time. If a, if a principal reaches out to me, I'm talking to a lady in California today and at 3 o'clock at a little Lutheran school uh, because she listened to a podcast I did with a, a crazy guy out in California. So if you – I'll get you on my schedule. Um, we've been in a 1,000 schools in New York State alone uh, where we would spend a lot of time. Uh, So, but I always make it a point to get back to everybody a hundred percent. So if someone wants some more information, message, uh, messaging, uh, all they got to do is reach out. Awesome. And I'll put that information in my show notes.
1: So it's easy for them to find and reach out to you. Uh, You know, I like to ask my guests a couple of questions uh, before we finish up and I I got them here. And the first one is, how do you quit? How do you not quit when so much is going on that you just want to say I'm done?
0: For me, it's when you see the result. Like, how can you quit when you see a result? And uh, we see the results. We get to, you know, experience um, the kids and their stories. After we're done, they come up and tell us what they're dealing with. The same with the teachers, what they're dealing with, and that we help them through it. Um, I've been speaking the last couple weeks. I have two more weeks of it at a camp in Pennsylvania. And uh, after I'm done speaking, for two hours, I stand on the stage, and the kids come up, and they – take their time where they hit free time, but they wait for two hours and tell me the stories of the hopelessness that they felt and what the message did for them. I mean, so, so really, how, how do you quit on those kids? I guess that's what it comes down to. I can't, and I don't want to, Um, I enjoy the fact that I'm blessed with an opportunity to help them. Awesome.
2: It's a big uh, question, Steve, because you know, I, I, I have some, some real guilt in my life, um, around my own family. Um, I have wonderful kids. Um, they're doing awesome. And, but I left my kids a lot to do this and to work with other kids. And, uh, so I've wrestled with this one a lot. And I think if I was going to throw in the towel, it would have been maybe earlier because I, I did see the, the sacrifice that our family was making for me to spend 200 days a year on the road. Um, but I, I just, I could read you this big, long, uh, series of emails that just the last two days, I was in a a, a district that's just having a really difficult time. I went over, I sat down with their entire team and one of the teachers, 17, 18 years in the game, just tears rolling down her face um, in the middle of everything. And she couldn't control herself. And she just apologized profusely of the challenges that she's going through and the school districts going through and nothing is like it used to be. And just, just, just heartbreaking. So I sent her an email the other day and she just responded to me, um, uh, yesterday and we just had a beautiful conversation. Just, and she just laid it all out uh, about the challenges of her life and teaching today. And, you know, when I, when I hear from teachers like that, when I hear from students and I, I've got five, six notes in the last week from students that have reached out and said, Hey, you know, I don't know what you would do if you and Rick didn't come to our school. And I have thousands and thousands of these notes, my response is usually the same. I love the parent ones, especially. Those are my favorite. When a parent wasn't even in an assembly and they're like, oh my God, I don't know what you did to my kid today, but they never talked to me. I had an attorney from Niskayuna New York, high, high profile guy call me up and say, hey man, I haven't talked to my kid who's a junior in like a year because we just don't get along. He said he came home and he talked to me. And the guy had to pause on the phone. I remember where I can close my eyes and see myself where I was sitting at the table I was sitting at. And he got, this was a high profile attorney, just all choked up on the phone. And he just said, thank you. You know, thank you. And, and to me, that's what fills my tank. Because if I heard even from my kids, even a fraction of what some young people go through, if my kids had to go through that, I'd do anything, Steve. I'd do anything to alleviate that suffering they're going through. And I don't mean the challenges we need challenges that builds that stress response system. It builds resiliency, but you, you, know, living a hopeless existence and sleeping on your dad's girlfriend's couch and your own father saying you're out of here when you're 18 and the middle school girls that are your age are ruining your life. And then you bring a knife to school and then the, uh, the, the school tries to throw you out. Like what, that, that kid's name was Dan. I could give you his last name. Dan took his own life because nobody, not his father, not the school, nobody wanted him. So he did what he thought he should, took himself out of this world. And if that was my kid, I'd do anything. And so would you, Steve, and so would Rick. So it makes it very easy for me to say why I do this and you, know, the days I am dragging and I'm sick and snot's rolling down my, th- and I can't talk and my, like, I don't care. Like, you only got one life to live, Steve, and this is how I'm going to live mine. Oh, my gosh. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, guys, both of
1: you. Uh, one last question, and it goes like this. Do you have a teacher in your uh, past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
0: huh. I, I have many. Um, uh, I'll tell you two, because um, I was terrible to both of them, and they never gave up on me and uh, one of them was my public speaking teacher who uh, i tear i was terrible in public speaking and she was also my short works teacher and i didn't make her uh her class very easy for her um but look where I am today. And she passed me in public speaking when I was awful and I couldn't do my speeches because I was terrified, not because I was a terrible student, which that was also there, but uh, I was terrified of getting in front of the class and speaking and she passed me. She let me do my speeches after school in the library with just her. And that was uh, Miss Grassy. And I'll never ever forget her for that. And uh, I probably wouldn't be a public speaker today if she had failed me at that time. She knew that failing me wasn't the right answer. It was doing something different for me. And, uh, that helped me. So that's one of them. And then Miss Yanchuk, uh, just an amazing person in my life who, um, you know, went to all my wrestling matches and all of those things. I, uh, she came to my wedding, um, you know, uh, six years ago, actually my wedding anniversary is this weekend. So six years ago, um, she came to my wedding. She's just an important person in my life. She, she was there for my grandmother when my grandmother was passing away, um, coming up and, you know, praying with her and, so Miss Yanchuk and uh, Miss Grassy, and there are so many other ones, but those are the two that I think about often because I wasn't the best student in their classrooms, and they stuck around, and they made sure that I was going to be okay to get through. And I'm in this situation today because of them, that's for sure.
2: Excellent. That's amazing, amazing. I've heard that before, and that always amazes me. Um, I was a nightmare. Um, I'll make this, I'll try and make this quick cause you know, you've already learned I can ramble about stuff, but, uh, I was a nightmare for every teacher in the sixth grade. I had a teacher, uh, had me by the neck up against the lockers and she was a former female prison guard and she had her finger in my face and she said, you're going to be in jail someday. And I wasn't a mean kid. I wasn't a bad kid. I probably was full of ADD or ADHD or whatever the heck it was. Um, and, uh, I just couldn't sit still. And that most teachers couldn't handle that, but there were a few and there was a, an art teacher in the seventh grade. The name is Mr. Halligan. And, um, I'll just tell you one quick story. I could name uh, four or five teachers. And, uh, uh, but you know, I, I showed up there and my job was to ruin every teacher's class, especially the ones that I didn't care about. And art was not one of my strong suits. And, uh, And old Mr. Halligan sat me all by myself, which is like the worst thing you can do with a pack animal is separate them right from their pack. And so I sat over there all angry and, you know, how am I going to get this guy? And I just grabbed this big sheet of paper and I start perseverating on it with these plastic stencils. And he sneaks up behind me. He's like, that's pretty good. Can you do it some more over here? And I look at him like, what's this crazy guy trying to do? I'm not falling for this. I'm smarter than him. And, uh, you know, I came in the next day and he sent me over in a corner or the next class whenever it was seventh grade. I don't quite remember the, all the details, but uh, he took that piece of paper off this top cabinet, same piece of paper. And, you know, uh, said, hey, man, this was really good. I got you some more stencils, plastic stencils. And could you do some more? And I'm trying to figure this guy out. And. Uh, You know, what he did was he, you know, as Carol Dweck talked about in mindset, you know, he praised the effort that I was putting in and not the outcome because I'm no artist. I can't draw a stick figure. And uh, so every day I came to class, he brought this piece of paper down and he encouraged me and praised the effort I was putting in. And nobody did that with little Tommy Murphy. You know, they were just set on correcting his behavior. And uh, he really got me, man. That He took that piece of art, sent it to the county, won a county prize. It's just a bunch of doodles is all it is. It eventually makes it to the New York State in Albany, the capital. It wins a gold key. Steve, I can't draw a stick figure. And this was in the 80s. And doesn't little Tommy Murphy, they put him in a suit, they bring up the worst kid in school maybe. (laughs) They bring him to the state Capitol. They put him in a suit. He wins a $500 gold key gift certificate or whatever it was, 500 bucks. And I was the talk of the school, little Tommy Murphy, the nightmare, the kid that's supposed to be in jail someday. And he changed my life, man. And he just, uh, he got me to see that teachers aren't monsters. You know, they're there. Um, but every kid you got to approach differently. Right. And um, I could go on a huge, long diatribe about that and the education system. And um, but you got to treat them differently, man. And uh, I've had a few others that have come into my life. I had a. Uh, I'll end on this. I had a, went back and spoke in my own high school. I hadn't been back there for 25 years. And, you know, the only person that came up to me was there's only a few teachers left around a custodian. And sometimes when we talk about education, sometimes we leave those folks out the bus drivers, the custodians. And man, he came up to me. He was so proud. He's like, he used to come to my wrestling matches like, uh, like that woman for Rick. And he said, I knew, you. he whispered it in my ears. He didn't want any teachers to hear it. He said, I knew you were going to make something out of yourself, Murph. I knew it. And I was, and, and I had to wipe away a few tears because here's this custodian cleaning up the crap that all happens in the school. And uh, But he was in my corner, man. He believed in me. So that's what it's about. It's about believing in human beings, and that's what teachers are great at. That's so awesome. I
1: can't thank you guys both for sharing all kinds of stuff about uh, Sweethearts and Heroes. I, the focus that you have is so powerful, and uh, I wish you the best in all that you guys do. Uh, Rick, thank you for your service to our country. Tom, thank you so much for pushing, you know, doing this and connecting and and getting the message out there and working with our schools and teachers and especially our kids. Thank you both.
0: Well, thank you, Steve. This has been an honor. This was a lot of fun. It really, really was. And uh, thank you for your service as well, Steve.
1: Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, Podcast by educators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmuleto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.